You know, one of the things I have to get used to around here <clears throat> is that every time I, we raise up really amazing people, God just sort of takes them away. And so uh, I'm, uh, I'm not bitter or anything at the Lord for that. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for them. But when Mark and Brooke told me they would be headed to California, I was like, Man, I mean, we, you know, we, we, God just has used people in this community so powerfully. And then it's, he just picks them up and moves them someplace else, which I'm actually really grateful for. Uh, at first, kind of, it's like, well, we don't want to lose them. But the truth is, we want to send people. Like, I want to be a church that sends people. I don't want to gather here forever and hold on to all these people and just try and grow for the sake of being big. I really would rather send people into the world. And if this is what the Lord is using and part of our community to do is to, to let people grow and mature and come to faith and be baptized here and then go be part of a bigger movement of the gospel, like, that is incredible. And so what, what Brooke and Mark are doing is they're saying yes to the Lord for him to sort of transport their life from here to California so that they can mobilize people to reach college kids, not just in the States, but around the world. It's an incredible thing. And so uh, Brooke is, of course, like all of our crew missionaries on full-time support. Our church supports her. But if you want to be part of her support team, she would love to talk to you about that as well. I love having these folks get up and talk about what the Lord is doing, because ultimately, the goal for all of us should be to come to a place where I can say yes to Jesus, whatever that is, whether that sends me across the world or literally across the room, that my obedience in my life, my goal should be to be able to say yes to Jesus. And that's a really big move for a lot of us because we love high elements of control. We love to be able to tell the Lord what we are up for and what we are kind of not up for. But oftentimes the Lord doesn't work that way. He moves and directs. And our whole call as a follower of Christ a follower of Christ is to die to ourself and say yes to Jesus. It's the movement of all of us, right? It's our deepest call. James really is a book about having our, our, lives, the, our lives match the things that we believe about Jesus, right? So last week we explored this a little bit, but just as a word about the book of James that we're going to be today, the entire letter was written to try and challenge Jewish believers to let the things that they were thinking about God be manifested in their lives. So that it's not enough just to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. At some point in time, that has to come out in how we live. The entire book is written for the purpose of moving that thinking part about God to the following part about Jesus following Jesus. And it's a really powerful letter. It's written by James, a brother of Jesus. It's one of the oldest New Testament letters, even before the Gospels were written. Um, James is writing to a group of Jewish Christians that are scattered all over the place, and he's challenging them to get out of their heads and begin to live sacrificially and obediently through their lives. And so the entire letter is matching up the things that I say I believe about God with the way that I'm willing to live. And if there's any huge struggle in my own life, that is it. God, I believe in who you are, but getting my life to reflect that is an incredible challenge. God, I believe that you say you will protect me and provide for me and care for me, but God, getting my life to trust you in those movements is really hard. And James is a book that speaks to that gap, getting the things that we believe about God to manifest in how we live. Last week, we talked about two kinds of wisdom. James chapter 3 kind of paints this picture of there are two ways to think about wisdom, one that is from God that moves us towards peace and righteousness and a false wisdom or a lie that is from the enemy that moves us to envy and self-promotion. And we talked about how easy it is for us to let that lie take up residence or make safe harbor, is the word we used last week, in our hearts. 
and how we have got to be about rooting those things out. And it began to make me start thinking as I was thinking about this week, uh, what other things do we have in our life that are sort of constantly at war between things of the Lord and things of the enemy, things that God desires for us and things that Satan wants to make sort of true or real in our life. And James 3, actually right before in the text that we were in last week, the text right before, he addresses another very similar but very powerful thing that is infecting the church. And it was the use of our words and our language. And there is a war of our words that are at play in our our hearts. The things that we say matter, and as followers of Christ, we have to understand that we have the ability to speak love and life, or we have the ability to speak destruction and death. And so this morning, we're going to look at that text and look at how much our words really matter as followers of Christ and how much we have let Satan come in and creep into this area, right? Not metaphorically this area, the church, and begin to destroy from the inside out. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to James chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 5, and we're going to go through 12 this morning as we kind of keep that premise alive, this sort of war that is going on in our hearts and our lives over the things that we say and the things that we believe and trying to make the truth that I believe about God uh, manifested in how I live, especially in the things that I say. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we will dive into this together this morning. Lord, I am grateful for um, women like Ashley and Brooke who are in love with you and are are committed to seeing people come to know Christ, committed to standing up and saying, I want to be a part of a movement that reaches people for the gospel. God, I want that to be the hallmark of our church, the hallmark of my heart. I just want that to be what we're known for, that we are deeply invested in just wanting people to know Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we look at James this morning, those things would be echoed in what we read and see. That somehow I can get beyond my head and my heart and into my life. That I can get past just saying I believe and I trust and into actually letting my life move it. Get get past the sinful nature that's at war inside of me into the life-giving call that you've given us as followers of Christ. So, Lord, I I pray that you would make your word just come alive to us. Take a moment right where you are and just ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning. I don't really know what you need to say, but just ask the Lord to teach you something. Just prepare your heart to teach your heart this morning. Just whisper that to the Lord. Take a moment and pray for someone that is beside you or in front of you, behind you. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. Maybe you've never seen them. Maybe you're here for the first time. Just pray for somebody else. We do this each week. We want to be in the habit of praying for other people. This whole thing on Sunday morning is not about you. Pray for someone around you that God would move in them. He would speak to them. Lord, we ask that you would teach us through your word. Uh, We love you and we thank you for Jesus. Amen. So the first few verses of James chapter 3, the first four or so, he's actually talking about teachers. I'm going to kind of paraphrase a little bit. We're going to jump into verse 5. But he's talking to teachers. and he's, He's explaining to these teachers how important it is to understand what you are saying. He's saying your words are incredibly important and you can steal or steer people's hearts with your words, okay? And then in verse five, he shifts from teachers 
to the entire body of Christ. And he basically says, he's going to say, that as followers of Christ, our words are incredibly important. In fact, there is a war of words that is going on in your heart and your soul based on your sinful nature and based on what God is doing. And we have to be aware of it and understand that we can either speak love and life or we can speak death and destruction. Okay, so we're going to jump into verse 5 and kind of look at a few things from there, and then I'll give you something I want you to try this week. So this is where we are, James 3, verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James lays out this sort of big section. And and the thing about James that you've really got to love about his book is that, or his letter, is that he does not mix words. Uh, He does, he sort of just says it how it is. And at times it's really hard because we don't like to really be told how things are. We like to be told how they can be. And James speaks directly and powerfully to how things are, saying things like, your tongue is set on fire by hell itself. Now keep in mind, James is writing to believers, right? These aren't just godless Gentiles that are roaming around the countryside. These are believers, people that have given their life to Jesus Christ. And James is addressing a serious, serious problem, a war that is being waged in their hearts. And it's not all that different from things that we struggle with some 2,000 years later. And I want to show you a few things, things that you know, but I think things that we need to hear and be reminded of. And these aren't things that I want you to simply nod your head at and go, yeah, you know, I should probably think about that or watch that. No, I want these things to truly be markers in your life where you say, I need to stop that. Or I need to quit believing that. Because it's really easy to sit on Sunday morning and listen and go, yeah, man, that's what that says, or that's good, or whatever, and then walk out of here and have absolutely zero effect in my life as I live. It's the story of my heart, right? I counter God's word. I get convicted. Nothing changes in me. I want to be a person that is affected and impacted by God's word. So there's a few things that James says about the tongue that I think are really important. And the first one he kind of lays into is that the tongue, although it's really small, is incredibly important, right? We all know that. In fact, the first few verses when James is talking about teachers, he gives two examples. He says that you can use the bit in the mouth of a horse and steer the entire horse. You can use the rudder on a ship and steer the entire rudder, meaning that small piece of metal or that small piece of wood can direct the the power of a ship or of this giant animal. It is that important, that little thing. And he compares it to the tongue. And James isn't talking about the muscle in our mouth, obviously. He's talking about the words that we say. It's a metaphor for the things that we say. And the tongue, although small, is incredibly important. And most of us don't pay any attention to it, right? 
We allow words and things to come out of our mouth without paying attention to how they affect, impact, right? The lives of people around us. But what James is saying is that I want you to understand that the tongue is incredibly important. He says a small spark, right, can ignite an entire force. And the first thing we have to realize that the words that you say matter. As followers of Christ, your words matter. Now, I know that we know that, but most of us honestly don't care. We somehow think that I'm going to be truthful and I'm going to speak things. If you want to hear it, great. If you don't want to hear it, that's great too. But what James is setting us up for is to realize that that attitude actually can affect whether we're speaking life and love or we're speaking death and destruction. And we have to understand that our words matter. The second thing James mentions is this, that even in the life of a believer, the tongue or your words can be used as a weapon of Satan. Now those are incredibly powerful things to say, that as a follower of Christ, your words can actually be used as a tool of Satan. That he actually says in here, right, that your words, right, that they are a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it set itself on fire by hell. James is not mixing words. Your words, my words, right, can be used as a weapon of the enemy. Now, the reason for this is because there is a simple yet deep theological thing at play here, and that's this, that you and I are deeply and totally sinful to the very core. Our nature is sinful. Who we are is about ourselves. It's about me. It's driven by me. My nature is to be at war, literally an enemy of God. Scripture is incredibly clear about that, that we have so much sin that has corrupted us that we are at war with God. We are literally his enemies. That is our nature, it is who you are. God is the opposite of that. God is pure and holy and mighty, and we are the opposite of all that God is. And our lives, Scripture tells us very clearly, are at war with who God is. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he makes us completely new. We are redeemed, and he stands in the presence of the Lord and justifies our sin for us, frees us from it. But that doesn't do away with the nature that is inside of me, meaning that my redeemed life will always be at war with my sinful nature. Even as a follower of Christ, who I am in Jesus will always be at war with what I really want in my heart. It's a constant battle. It's the battle of the Christian life. My redeemed life is at war with my carnal, sinful self. And what James is saying is that your words become an expression often of that sinful self. They're the things that come out of what dwells deep inside of my heart. And James says those small little things become weapons of the enemy because they're revealing the true nature of our sin. John 8 tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And John 10 tells us that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, which means the enemy, who is very real, is the creator and father of all lies, and his entire desire for you is to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal your joy, kill your effectiveness, and destroy anything and everything that leads any movement towards the things of God. It's why he exists. 
Second part of John 10, 10 says, Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes that you might have life and have it to the full. There is a war constantly at play between my sinful self and my redeemed nature in Christ. And the words that I say matter. Because Satan wants to use those things to destroy, to kill, to steal. And James isn't talking about just random people. He's talking about the church. He's talking about believers. I mean, surely the church, right? I mean, it's the place where judgment and gossip don't exist. But we know that not to be true. Right? The church has become a safe harbor for the lies of Satan. More gossip and lies get spread in this place than they do ever outside of here. When we begin to use our words as an expression of the true sinful side of us, that part of me that needs to be recognized, needs to be heard, needs to be praised, needs to have my identity or my ego stroke, the part of me that needs you to see what I've done, the part of you me that needs recognition, the part of me that needs to be the one that shares information, the part of me that needs to be seen, often comes out in our words. Right? Think about stories, how we top other people's stories, how we share information that's not ours to share. How we say we speak truth in love, but really we're just using it as an opportunity to tell somebody what they've done wrong. Our words become expressions of our sinful self. And this is what James is addressing. He is saying when we do that, they become weapons of the enemy. Now it sounds extreme, but you know what? The more I think about it, the more I look at how my own life has been destroyed by people's words. People that I love and care for, people that I trusted or trust, things that they've said behind me to other people, people that love the Lord who unintentionally and I think sometimes even unknowingly have torn me to shreds and I have done it too. And they become weapons of the enemy. James goes on to say that what we say and how we say it should be a reflection of our heart for Jesus. Listen to verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. What James is basically saying is that the things that we believe about God should be things that are expressed in our words and that come out of our mouth. That that same authenticity, right, should reflect my heart for Jesus, meaning my words should reflect my heart for Jesus, meaning that we walk in here and we sing and we sing and we sing and we pray and we raise our hands and we talk to somebody about somebody else that's 15 feet away about their marriage, about the fact we can't believe they're here after we read about them in the paper, about their medical diagnosis, about how bad their kids are, about I can't believe they're still single. We use the windows here to speak gossip and garbage about people that isn't ours to even share in the first place. We walk out of this place after 
praising the Lord and hearing these things and say the most horrific, unkind words to our spouses. Words that we would be ashamed that anybody heard. And it's not always the words, it's the tone that we use. It's unloving. It's meant to hurt. This is what James is addressing. He's saying that what we say and how we say it should reflect our heart for Jesus. How can you walk into a place, or not even walk into a place, how can you praise the Lord and in the same place in your heart say something about creation that God has made and breathed life into? And James doesn't designate whether they're believers or not. He says that all creation is God's. How can we speak about it with the same mouth that praises Jesus? Who gives you that right? And James is addressing something incredibly important in the church. That there is a war with our words. Most of us do it unknowingly and unintentionally. But we do it out of our deep need to have our identity stroked. Because we aren't comfortable with who we are in Christ. And so we allow our words to destroy unintentionally, sometimes, sometimes intentionally, and cause death. Some of us have spoken so poorly to our spouses over the years that our words of love and life don't even matter anymore. Some of us have, have gossiped so badly about other people that aren't maybe here or not here or at work that people feel uncomfortable being around you. Some people under the banner of prayer requests have shared other people's information because they wanted to be the one that shared it. Not because we were ever, ever really interested in praying. These are harsh, true words that James speaks. And of course, he's not talking to you, right? Saying, somebody else. But if we really are honest, the church is going to be destroyed from the inside out. It'll never be destroyed from the outside in. It's destroyed from the cancers that James is talking about from the inside out, from the enemy, right, that begins to corrupt because of our sinful nature. It is a constant war. So I started thinking about what James was saying. I was thinking about how as believers, we receive this stuff, right? Because we don't receive it really well. I mean, we receive it okay. You receive it okay here today because I'm saying it, and you can easily pawn off the things that aren't really about you or whatever. But if somebody were to sit down and say this to you, we wouldn't receive it real well. And I begin to think about what it would take for us to make real true changes in our life so that we could begin to reflect this sort of authenticity of what I really believe about Jesus in my heart, that it would come out of the things that I say and the way that I live. And so I came up with a few things that I would love to challenge you to this week. And I don't usually do this. Usually I just sort of work through text and talk about it. But I think that this is one of those times where if we don't talk about how things change, we just sort of nod and go, yeah, I probably need to watch that. And then by four today, I'm just back to who I was. I'm texting whatever it is I was supposed to text and doing that and saying what it is and not even thinking about it. And next thing you know, I'm in an argument with my wife or my husband tonight or whatever it is. Or I go back to using the same language. 
that I know is corrupting because I really don't do anything about it, which is sort of the story of my whole Christian experience, conviction without movement, right? So I came up with a few things uh, that I want you to just try for a week. I'm going to try them. You just try them. The first thing is that, um, and again, these are things that I want you to not take for the kind of cheesy factor, but for the real factor. And the first one is this. Ask yourself, would I say this to Jesus? And I know that's got that sort of WWJD like cheese to it, but the truth is, what if you ask yourself that? Would I really say this to Jesus? What I'm about to say to my husband or my wife, would I say this to my Lord? What I'm about to text or say about my coworker at lunch or whatever, would I really say this to Jesus? I messed around with that on Thursday and Friday and quickly put it away because I did not like the things that I was beginning to think about the stuff that I said. Even the small things, the way I would, tones I would use, how I would say them. It's really convicting if you begin to think about it. Would I say this, text this, send this to Jesus? And if not, why? Am I embarrassed to say it or is it not life-giving? So I want you to honestly consider that. Would I say this, send this, whatever that is for you, to Jesus? The second thing I want you to do this week is I want you to identify someone. I really challenge you this. Identify someone and do one of two things. One, apologize. Or two, honor them. And here's why I mention this. Because the first one is every one of us has someone in our life that we have hurt with our words. Now, most of us probably don't recognize it or realize it because we're really selfish and we think they took it the wrong way. Challenge is probably you probably said it the wrong way. But I want you to figure out who that person may be if you have someone. And I want you to apologize to them. Really and truly. Like call them, write them with an actual pen, right? And apologize and just say, I didn't even think about that. Or I said this to you. Maybe it was eight years ago. Drop your pride and speak life, right? Find someone to apologize to. If there's no one in your life to apologize to, then find someone to honor. I've been around, and I'm not pointing anybody out, but I've been around, and I'm going to speak to husbands and wives for a second. I've been around more husbands and wives that in groups of people verbally tear each other down in front of other people. They do it in the, in the kind of a joking kind of way, but the truth is they destroy each other. Do you know how empowering it is to be honored by someone you love in front of other people? To have someone say, I love this person for this reason? Or even just, to their face. Like, I have not taken the time that I need to tell you how much I appreciate you. I mean, really, truly appreciate you. I take it for granted. It goes without saying, but what you do for this family or what you do for me or what I watch you do for people, I know no one probably tells you, but I see it. When you honor someone, you speak love into them. Most people do not hear from other people that they are loved and appreciated. Birthdays, holidays, whatever, all those token days. But just most people walking around your life aren't honored by people. 
And the hardest people in the world to honor are the ones that are closest to you. And I have no idea why. We assume maybe they get it. Maybe they don't. Over your children, over your spouse, over your best friend or your roommate or whoever. Find someone in your life and honor them. Whatever that means, write them a letter, a card, look them in the eye, ball, and say, I care about you. And I watch how awesome you are. And I'm grateful. You will not believe the kind of life change that will give to somebody else. And as followers of Christ, this is what we're called to do. Ask yourself what I say this to Jesus. Find someone in your life to apologize to, if there is someone, or to honor. And finally, the last thing I want you to do is make sure that you understand this war of words that's going on and make a commitment to try and let your life be authentic. And what I mean by authenticity is this. Let your life and your words and your actions match, right? The problem with the majority of us is that our lives and our actions and our words don't match. The things that we believe don't oftentimes line up with our behaviors, which oftentimes don't line up with our words, which makes Christianity incredibly unattractive to the world because it's not authentic. It's made of a bunch of hypocrites, people that are judgmental, people that gossip, people that slander, people that do this, people that pick whatever their one moral soapbox issue is, and they fight that one moral soapbox issue while ignoring everything else in their life. We have to fight for authenticity. Fight to make sure that you understand that your words and your love for Jesus need to match. Your tones, the language you use, and what you say needs to match your love for Christ. Period. There are no excuses or exceptions. Anything else is sin. Confess it, apologize for it, and ask God to redeem you and move you forward. And don't argue with me over what Christian cuss words are, right? I can run through a list of five, right? They're they're official Christian cuss words, right? When I say this to Jesus, right? When I say this to Jesus, find someone in your life you need to apologize to, right? Drop the pride and do it. Find someone to honor this week. I'm just, just seven days, right? Find someone to honor. And then make your words and your life and your tone match your heart for Jesus. There's a war of words at play in your life, and it does matter. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word that it is timeless, that it is true, that it is powerful. And like wisdom, there are things in our life that are waging war. There are things that the enemy wants to use to steal and kill and destroy. And God, it seems so small, but it's not. It's really big and important. And I confess, God, that those things are very true in my own life. And so I pray that as we close out our time in worship, that you would convict our hearts. Convict us of someone that we need to seek out, someone that we need to apologize to, someone that we need to honor, Lord, something that we need to let go of or forgive someone for, whatever that may be, God, just let that be. And then, Lord, let us be moved today by your word to walk out of this place and actually not just nod and say, yeah, it's not too terrible, but to actually move towards action. I want to speak love and life and not death and destruction. I want my words to matter. Maybe that means this week I speak a lot less. So, Lord, be glorified 
in your word as we apply it to our hearts and be glorified in our worship so that we can reflect you, so that we can show you to the watching world. And we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and continue or close our time in worship this morning.